Here we go, here we go. So we'll go this week. Uh, we'll go today, and then there's Tazay on Wednesday. Come for dinner. That's the last Tazay. So everything is moving very quickly. Not so many days till Christmas, right? So we'll go today, then Tazay on Wednesday. Then we will have church and Sunday school next week, and then we're off for a few weeks. So just, just as you plan your schedules and kind of normal, back to normal church church stuff over, over Christmas Eve. And uh, so uh, carols and hymns at 4 and the Eucharist at 7 on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day at 10. So look, we'll look forward to seeing you for all those things. All right, it's Gaudete. So you notice that things turn to rose, just a little bit of light in the darkness. And we'll pray and then we'll go. Prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, the Lord comes with might. Isaiah 40. O Lord, accept our prayers and our supplications and grant that we may heed the call of John the baptizer to prepare the way of your son and receive him into our hearts that we may become your children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So the sermon was absolutely brilliant. Uh, It's always nice when uh, somebody preaches without a wasted word. That was just really, really great. And it sort of summarizes all the things that we've been trying to do in here. So, you know, not to ruin it if you haven't heard it, but at least you can listen toward this. The notion that uh, our expectations and imaginations and desires are far too small for the Messiah who is about to arrive. And it was particularly difficult for John the Baptizer, as you will hear. Uh, It was interesting in the, I was watching the readings as they go through and You'll compare, compare the Old Testament with the Gospel when it's read today. Uh, and that little line about freeing the captives gets dropped out when Jesus says, go tell him what you saw. There's a mystery in that. So, um, in some sense, you all have uh, felt like captives in some way over these past couple of years. And you felt quite restricted. And so the question is, you know, now, now what do we do? And you're all over the place in terms of politics and mass and, you know, elections and everything. It, and that's, that's all right, as long as you remember that theology is principle and politics is strategy. If you turn your politics into, into principle or even religion, then you're on very, very dangerous ground. But like the baptizer this morning and his disciples, you remember that you are otherworldly. So we always want to you know, fix the world, but in some sense, uh, we're, we're in the world, but not of the world. We are, we are disconnected from this world. And so when Jesus leads us, it's uh, at times uncomfortable, but that's the way life works. We have work to do in the world, even though we don't belong to the world at the end. And some of you have suggested to me, and this morning I'll suggest to you the notion of rebellion. I'm at point two. So you might have seen Ray Dalio, this famous hedge fund manager from from, uh, he wrote a book last year on leadership and he wrote a book this year on understanding the world and you know he's a billionaire so people pay attention to him but you know, he get, in that book he gives a 30% chance of civil war in America in the next 10 years and of course this has been a fairly popular topic you know, on the threads that are sent to me sometimes anonymously and sometimes not you know this is a suggestion we, gotta, we always uh, you know, one of the great joys of my years at St. John is We've stopped paying attention to anonymous mail. But we got a big pack this week, 
sent anonymously, unsigned, couldn't read the postmark, no white powder, so that was a plus. <laughs> and uh, it was a long, uh, you know, it was a long thing about the, uh, connecting the biomarkers in the vax along with um, the mark of the beast and along with the return of the kingdom and the sheep and the goats. Uh, that was, I didn't touch it. Pastor Nelson just quickly gave, you know, it was like 19 pages or something. So we, you know, but, you know, it's everywhere, right? People are nervous to the, to the edges. Uh, it's not bad for you to be nervous to the edges, too. It sounds like John the Baptizer was in the gospel for today. But we play it by different ground rules, and that's what you need to remember. Point two, that our rebellion won't take the shape or substance of the world. And that may, may be another way to, to, to talk about all the things that you've been struggling with even for Christians, and I see this particularly in pastors, so I don't have to go all the way to congregations. Pastors have really absorbed the shape of a worldly struggle. I think I told you I saw an advertisement uh, for, for something that was, you know, we're the, you're, we're, we're the artillery reinforcements for the, for, the, for the Christian army marching forward. Well, you know, that, that crosses a lot of, crisscrosses a lot of themes. Uh, you know, how do you fit that together with Jesus saying, turn the other cheek? It's a very difficult proposition. So we do, in fact, want change, and you are indeed free to rebel, but you're free to rebel on Jesus' terms. And it may not look at all like what you think it does. So today I want to chase uh, two additional virtues that the Lord gives us. They're complementary. One is endurance, and the other is encouragement. You remember Barnabas uh, um, you know, the man of encouragement in the scriptures. About all we know about him, but he was notable for that. That he was a person who could encourage other people. And so there's an easy difference right there. The rebellion that most people have been drawn into has certainly been a rebellion of discouragement. To take the courage out of other people. To trash them and break them. As opposed to encouragement... That is to fill people up with courage so that they can endure. It's the difference between the world and the church. It's the difference between Jesus as a king and all the other kings. So I, I went back and read, uh, we've been kind of up and down and thinking about different things. So I sort of went back and read where we've been already, the first eight lessons. And I just sort of absorbed for you at point three. You know, Jesus has been giving you the tools for your rebellion all along the way. So just at the bottom of the first page, point three. So it's the Lord, not Satan, and it's the Holy Spirit, not unclean spirits. So we've read, we've read text for both of those things, right? And then these virtues of Jesus, who is obedient and other and light and truth and resurrection and life and love. And Satan, so we spent a couple of the first weeks talking about the character of Satan, who is a rebel and earthly and dark and dying and lying, and death, and hate. So when you're picking sides, like on the playground, when you're deciding which side to join and support, it seems to make sense that as a Christian, you would ask yourself if my side is obedient and other, and light and truth, and resurrection, and life and love, or have you aligned yourself with people who are dark and lying, and... Um, in the way of hate and death. You are who you are. You've been baptized. You've been to the Eucharist this morning. 
So, you know, you, you're free to rebel against the way of the world. Jesus did, although there's a genius bit toward the end of the sermon today when it talks about the shape of that rebellion for Jesus himself. I mean, that, was a, that was an unbelievable thing that happened this morning. So, you know, are you in the way of, you know, faith which agrees or unfaith that disagrees? We talked about being together in community and not scattered. Diablos, the word for devil, is the word that means to scatter people so that you're alone and alienated. Uh, Whether we're settled and calm. So interesting in the gospel for today. Typical Jesus, right? These people come kind of frantically from John the Baptist. We're looking for a fulfillment. Are you the right guy? How is this going to work out? And Jesus kind of like, tranquilo. And then what does Jesus do? He heals some sick. And he gives sight to the blind. He lets the lame walk. He calms everything. There's a basic distinction between Satan and Jesus. Satan moves very quickly and impulsively and asks immediately for your decision before you can pay attention and sort out whether it's right or wrong. Jesus comes calmly, even in the Gospel of Mark where everything is about urgency, Jesus comes calmly. Everybody else's hair is on fire. Jesus surveys the landscape. He takes the questions. He finds the problem. And then very directly, without any sort of wasted effort, Jesus does what needs to be done. It's a way that you can sort out in your own life what's demonic and what's not. If everything is chaotic and demanding and rushed and pressured and forced, that's almost certainly not the way of Jesus. But if things are, even in the midst of terror, calm, clear, reasonable, thoughtful, spiritual, merciful, Psalm 85, again, it's the most beautiful justice and peace kiss. It's the most beautiful um, little antiphon, right? You're waiting for a day when justice and peace will kiss, when truth will rise up from the earth and justice will pour down from heaven and they, they meet in the middle, right? And everything is perfected again. That's the way of Jesus. You can kind of, if you want, you can analyze your Christmas dinner this way, but don't, don't work too hard, right? You never know who's coming along. But, you know, calmly, clearly, joyfully, peacefully, not angry, not destructive, right? This way of love rather than self-interest and humility rather than pride. And then finally, toward the bottom, death for the worldly, which means I meant to say there that Jesus dies for us as opposed to asking for us to die. Right? That Jesus would die and give it to us as a gift. So, ultimately then we see the cross um, as a victory and not a defeat. And so this lasts just one line. For all eternity, Jesus wants to be able to thank us for having chosen him. And you know that, if you're Lutheran, that gets you off balance a little bit. But, you know, just in case you were curious, Jesus is very pleased with you. And when he looks at you, he loves you. And maybe you can't imagine Jesus ever saying thank you to you, but you just sort of let that wash over you. There's a, if you get Henry Nouwen stuff in the morning, the one for this morning was about 
receiving gifts from other people so that they can learn that they are givers too, that they have value and something to give. Very hard for many folks who have been uh, brought up um, as doers and not receivers. For all eternity, Jesus wants to be able to thank us for having chosen him in sacrifice, for having shared his cross with him. And so, you know, you move forward in the imitation of Christ, and this is what people mean to say when they say, you hide your wounds in Jesus' wounds, or your sufferings are bound to Jesus' sufferings. It simply means that you take the same path that Jesus has taken, and you evaluate the value of your life based on whether it matches. So, um, given this order of things, how then do we proceed? And again, I don't need to do too much here, but um, this is just summary of what we've done. Right, that we would proceed in love, and when we love, we remember. When we remember what God has done for us, then we're very grateful for that. This is the value of old friends at the holidays to tell stories about, do you remember when? This is the value of anniversaries and birthdays. You remember at least for that moment, all the good that's been done to you and that you've been able to do. And that's humbling because you realize you couldn't have done it without the Lord. Do you see how different this is from rallying the troops and destroying your enemies? So over the holidays, you take some time to observe the course of your life, remember the places that God has been good for you, done good to you, where things happened almost miraculously in your own life, And things have happened to you graciously that you couldn't have made happen on your own. And when you remember that, you realize you're dependent on Christ and that humbles you and that prepares you to go softly and gently into the world as opposed to going into a world where you think the Christian notion is to destroy people who disagree with you. There is none of that in Jesus. So, um, what now, right? And I was, I was reminded, um, our friend Bruce Kleiner was the architect for the sanctuary, is quite ill. And so I spend a little time with him, and part of that time is always reflecting on how, you know, how that all came together and all the little... You know, he said to me, you know, if you get down on your hands and knees by the altar... There's a little red in the stone that looks like, looks like drops of blood from Jesus. It's actually true. I was on my hands and knees last week. Look, I was like, you know, if you get within six, inch of it, six inches of it, it's actually true. But you remember kind of how it was before we came here. What was the goal? The goal was to create this irresistible, irresistible environment where people would be drawn Right to give a sort of beauty that would praise God, but also warm and welcome people. And if the church forgets that in its most difficult times, um, then the church has failed as the church, because that's what Christ did in His most difficult times. So you you know you can go ahead and rebel, but you're baptized and you have the body and blood of Jesus in you. So you can only rebel to the limits of his flesh and blood. You can only rebel in a way that looks like Jesus himself. So, um, 
we should think about what that means. And toward that, I've given you this text from Romans 15. So this is after point number five. Now just, just look at this. As you read this, just think about whether... And, you know, I'll talk primarily about Christians because I suggest that, or I would guess, not suggest, I would guess that you get, you're, you're, you're a Christian bunch, and I would suggest that you get, if you're like me, I mean, I get, you know, 20 appeals a day from, from Christians to join the fight, right? Primarily, it's um, sending somebody money, but sometimes it's showing up or doing particular things or trashing particular people or whatever. And, you know, along the way, St. John's been trashed a bit, too, um, for this and that over the past year and a half. Everybody gets to be a target. So uh, you ask yourself, okay, um, I'm quite unsatisfied with the world. I'm quite unsatisfied with the world as well. But if you're quite unsatisfied with the world, what does your life look like, right? What does it mean to be, as Jesus calls us, one, strange, glorious, beautiful? These adjectives that Jesus uses about his church, what does it mean? How do you get there? How do you hold on to it once you have it? So look at this is the end of Romans. Now, Romans, you have to remember, is filled with justification by grace through faith, right? Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Barely will a righteous man die for an unrighteous, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or um, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means God doesn't condemn us and you may never condemn another Christian. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These things are quite lost on us as the church. So all the way through, you know, you're saved by the grace of God and Jesus prays for you all day long and the Holy Spirit prays too, Romans 8, and neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation shall separate us from the love of Christ. So you come into a situation like we've had the last few years and how are you supposed to live? Paul is kind enough to tell you. Here you go, Romans 15, 1 to 13. We who are strong, this is a basic word, I didn't even define it, it's dynamis, so like dynamite. We who are strong, we have energy, we who are upright, you know, we we have possibility. We who are strong have an obligation. So now I've started to give you the words here, um, you know, the Greek, just if that's what you like, but in some ways, just so you can see it. So we have an obligation. We have some kind of moral responsibility or moral debt. Now, normally what I hear is, you're strong, so you have this moral debt to enforce, right? I mean, here's the scriptures. We're strong, so we have a moral obligation to carry, to bear, to pick up, or to take it upon ourselves. This would echo where Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you're strong, if you're in good shape, your job isn't to go to war. Your job is to find the weak and to pick up whatever is that's crushing them. We who are strong have the obligation to bear the failings which is also, is very interesting, this is hesitations or doubts. Like people don't know which way to turn. So it's not just that it's a moral failure, you know, somebody's stolen something or committed adultery. That's not it. This is, this is where people are just like, they don't know which way to turn. You who are strong, who have some energy to do the right thing, 
you have a moral obligation to people who are paralyzed by the state of things. We have the moral obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So pleasing yourself is not a criterion for action in the Christian life. You would think it would be because all the time people talk about what they want and what they're going to do and what they need. They talk about themselves all the time. We all do it. Right? So you're strong. You have a responsibility to find people who are failing, to find people who think that this is all impossible, that they just can't carry on. You know, you find those people and what do we do? Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now already Jesus has removed the dodge of asking who's my neighbor. So this would be without any sort of consideration of religion or political party or skin color or gender or any of the other things that divide us in the world. It doesn't mean, I just want to be completely clear, it doesn't mean you support all those things. You're in the world looking for weaknesses. You're looking for things that have gone wrong, for hesitations, for doubts, for pain points. Right? It doesn't mean you, you know, it doesn't mean you agree with it. Um, you're like a doctor who treats a self-inflicted wound. You still treat people because that's what love does. It doesn't think about itself. Sometimes we think that if we do good to the weak or the different, somehow we've compromised or we'll become infected by that. That's not the case. You who are strong, you know, you who can go on without the possibility of being ruined, you who know what it is to be loved by God, you have this moral responsibility to please your neighbor, but now not for anything, and this is what's so important, for his good, right? And so to build him up. You know, you get this double sense of build him up like a building and the church is the body of Christ, but this is also the word used for people who grow in the faith, who mature, so you ask yourself, in my engagement with this person who is quite other than me, but whom Jesus loves as his own child, what is it that I can do that would be for his benefit spiritually, physically as well? But you have a very strong sense here of you have a moral obligation to help people grow in the faith. What would that look like? Right? Because you know, verse 3, Christ did not please himself. You're a Christian, which means you follow in the way, the very first name for Christians in Acts. They follow the way. They follow the way of Jesus. And so the you know, famous Nagel extension of that, the way of the law and the way of the gospel. They follow in the way of Jesus, who did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Which is another way of saying, instead of cursing you, they cursed me. Instead of wounding you, they wounded me. Instead of killing you, they killed me. That's how Jesus talks. And that's the Messiah that you'll hear about in the gospel for today. 
So, you know, what, what does Christ do? How do we talk about it? When we say that Christ takes away our sins, what does that mean? It means that he actually comes to you and he actually takes them away from you. All the things you carry that make you feel guilty or that pain you or that are bad habits and ruin every day, the Lord comes to you and he takes those away. And the day's a little brighter and your way, you know, is a, is a little bit less burdensome. What Christ has done for us, bearing the burden of our sins, we do for others, right? Just as I've loved you, you're to love one another. So, you know, I hope the shape of your rebellion is taking place because people send me all kinds of suggestions about what I should be doing and what the church should be doing and what we should be paying for and the marches I should attend and the stands that I should make. I don't find that many of them that actually fit any of these criteria. I don't see Jesus at the center of them. It's fine to have a political rally. It's fine to proceed according to, you know, your own persuasion and how you've reasoned things out. Civil people can disagree. That's the mark of a civilization. But what you might expect of me as a pastor or what people can expect of me as a church, I live by a whole different code of conduct. Here it is right here. And what sort of payoff people can expect or what I should stand up for or not stand up for? Yeah, no, I'm unpersuaded. I'm quite persuaded by this. Right? You who have been called because of Christ also suffered. And leaving an example you follow in his footsteps. So you know what I'm trying to do all day long is figure out the way forward so that my life looks like Christ's life. But I know that's what you're doing too. I just am trying to tell you to beware of all the people who would lure you into something um, that is not very helpful and not very Christ-like. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Or another way to say this would be, you know, all of history is aimed right at you. Especially all of salvation history and inside that, all of scripture. It's aimed right at you. You're very lucky, you know, where Jesus says, you've seen things that, you know, the angels would love to see. You've seen things the prophets never saw. So whatever was written in former days was written for our teaching, our instruction. This isn't just like ink on a page. This means for... It's the practical notion of shaping you into the kind of person God wants you to be. That's the use of scripture. So you should think about the scriptures and you should think about the catechumenate. You should think about the liturgy. Um, when I always have a break point in the catechumenate. Maybe we got there this week where people, it's sudden, they suddenly realize why they're there or maybe at least are willing to give it a chance because there's so much shaping to be done and we have so much to learn. I was up early reading about 15th and 16th century Lutheran liturgical books. What were you doing at 530? <laughs> so I'm willing to talk it over right now if you were, but you know, uh, these things were important because they shape people. They change you, how you live, right? Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. 
that through, and here it is now, through these twins, and these are new to us, we haven't done these two yet, through endurance and through encouragement, the encouragement of scripture, we might have hope. Isn't that an interesting thing? So when you're so broken or so despondent or you sort of can't go on or the world is a mess or, you know, you have to wear a mask one more day or just pick something, you know, uh, your emergency room wait is six hours. Right? This is how it works. The word from eternity becomes the word incarnate in a manger in flesh. And that word speaks words to you. That is Jesus' great condescension. That he would come to you and speak to you in words that you could understand. And his words have the power of the Holy Spirit to turn you into a new person. If only you will let it happen. It's not the sort of person who grows up in the world. It's the sort of person who grows up in eternity, in heaven, in another world, by another way. And when you know that um, your own death is uh, just the transition at the door to step from one, one place to another, then you can live in hope. It's only when you, you think about now, you think about John the Baptizer and Bonhoeffer today in that sermon. You think about why both of them died in hope. You remember the famous story about Bonhoeffer. Um, he was meant to be freed and from vengeance to be spiteful, they decided to execute him. Um, they took him out in the woods and stripped him naked. And then he asked to pray and he said his prayers and then they hung him. But later, one of the guards said, he prayed as if someone was listening. That's hope. He prayed as if someone was listening. So whatever was written in former days was done for your endurance and for your encouragement that you might have hope. So this is precisely what happens. That's why we put such an emphasis on the liturgy, but then also on your own reading of scripture and meditation through the years, because it's automatic if you don't resist it. The word comes to you, and the Holy Spirit energizes you, and shapes you, and prays for you, and lives inside you, and lets you see clearly, and lets you hear accurately, and lets you act for good. To love is to do good, and to embrace things that are beautiful all toward a day when everything is perfected. That's not the sort of revolution the world knows about. Revolutions in the world normally, you know, spiral down to nothing on the one hand. On the other hand, when they're too good, people normally take them for granted. And so they lose them in, that, in the other direction. So hope is ours so long as we endure, so long as we live in Scripture, so long as we're in the Eucharist, so long as we bear the burdens that come with following Christ. 
It's all yours so long as you'll have it. It's a bit like sound, you know. When Jesus says to you, um, I love you, you can't unhear it. You don't have the choice not to hear it. You've already heard it. Jesus says to you, I love you, I forgive you, you're mine. You're my child, I bless you, come with me, follow me, imitate me. Bear the burdens of others. Suffer what you may, it'll all be fine. You can't unhear it. Right? It's already been stuck in your ear. It's been given to you. It's been pushed into your heart. You can't unhear it. Your only choice at that point is to say, thank you very much, or, yeah, I don't think so. And so many people have called me. I mean, I probably talked to three people in the last week who said to me, certainly these are the last days, which, of course, is, you know, certainly proof that it's not the last days, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not even close to the last days, right? I mean, it's not even close. Uh, it's not horrible enough yet. But none of that quite matters for you. You just sort of carry on um, in the way that Jesus put into your ear, or put into your mouth, or put onto your skin. You just sort of carry on with what God has given to you. But it's extraordinarily important for you to understand that that's just not about you. Because from the moment Jesus saves you, he turns your eyes up and out to give witness into the world. And if that witness is opposite Jesus, so if that witness is cruel or vindictive or demonic or short-sighted or doesn't bear the burdens of others, endurance, or doesn't build them up, encouragement, then it's not Jesus. You're doing something else. And you should have a good think of that through and confess it. Because in the end, that doesn't help you and it doesn't help anybody. Right? And then the blessing, verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement, there it is again, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. This is verse 5. And that single word that's translated as harmony, it's, it's five or six words there in Greek, but it means may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live um, or may, may God of endurance and encouragement give you the same mind. And in a moment, he's going to say, give you the same voice. So Christians should think the same way and they should speak the same way. Right? Together with one voice, that together with one voice, you glorify the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, it is together with one mouth, you glorify God. So you're all saying the same thing from the same heart, right? And finally, then, you figure out what the church is supposed to be. And this looks so different from most churches. Although I will say, you know, yesterday, you know, one of my favorite days of the year, it was a little startling here how well-organized it was and how many people turned out and how much was given away and how well everything was cleaned up. And you couldn't help but notice this flurry of, uh, activity in the St. John's parking lot if you're driving up and down Main Street. Like, what is, like, what is that? Right? It was so Christmas sharing was yesterday. Carol Holter, who I'm sure worked far too hard uh, on her bad leg, wrote me, you know, 10.30, she's sending me pictures and writing me a letter or writing me an email about the day. But it was really a startling day, you know, 
like 1,400 people and 300 families. And she said they, so much was given away that they ran out of stuff to give away. So they found more, which was really quite remarkable. So thanks to all of you who did that. But that's the sort of rebellion you have in the world. You rebel against you know, hunger, against people who don't have enough for Christmas, against people who have never heard of Jesus, who don't expect anyone to be kind to them. No. And that, of course, is the weightiness uh, of glory, right? This doxa that's always talked about. So welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. There was a day when you were out and then you were in. So welcome people who are out the way you were welcomed for the glory of God. Because God's important. Glory means holiness, but it also means weightiness. What God is worth for the value of God. Jesus just simply said, God is important, so you should act in this particular way. You should act in a way that endures, and you should act in a way that encourages. Pastors are the worst at this, right? I mean, you, you don't have anything on pastors. Um, we should be extraordinarily careful here. We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that just as Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Now, so to the circumcised means not anybody, not the Jews. So Christ just wasn't just for our little sect. It wasn't just for our little people. It wasn't just for Lutherans. It wasn't just for people that we know or people that we like or people who look like us. No, the whole point was that you're privileged to be given a gift that you should be giving on. You're given the gift to distribute it. You're not given the gift to keep it. You know, I mean, talk about a supply chain kink, really, right? The gifts that we have are meant to be given out. I tell you the truth, Christ became a servant to show God's truthfulness, to confirm God's promises, the promises given to the patriarchs, and then this kind of great stuff. In order that the Gentiles, that's you and me, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This is written. I'll praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing your name. Again, I'll say, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the people extol him. Isaiah says, Merry Christmas, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who rises up to the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Everybody's in, nobody's out. God loves everybody. God wants all his children home again. You and I, we might draw some tight boundaries. But God doesn't do that. Another way that God rebels is by including everybody. A sower went out to scatter his seed, and he scattered it lavishly, not just on the dirt, but on the rocks and into the weeds. In any place else, his seed might do some good. Crazy stuff. May the God of hope so it starts in heaven and it comes to earth, right? We'll sing about that in Christmas hymns. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may be abound in hope. So let me just parse that for you. God the Father sends God the Holy Spirit to you and to you he gives joy and peace and faith and hope, which is why, of course, you're in church on Sunday. Because God the Father is here, and God the Holy Spirit is active in the scriptures and in baptism and in the Eucharist. 
And in those things he gives you joy and peace and faith and hope. So if you want to be hopeful, you go to church. And you want to be joyful, you go to the Eucharist. If you want to have peace, you remember your baptism. And if you want to make your future certain, you come to the liturgy. And notice that this is the things that Jesus does to us, right? Jesus does this to us. And so, yes, you should be engaged in the world and you should be aware of what's going on and you should be active in the world, but your activity is circumscribed circumscribed by the person and work of Christ. So, you know, how could this work? Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. I gave you that text a few weeks ago. I'll give it to you again. Right? Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Okay, that's probably enough for today. Look at this. I stopped on the nine. It's like a holiday. So, um, let's pray and let's go. We'll go one more time and then Christmas is on top of us. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks. See you soon.